Jesus is this amazing teacher and Matthew would have absolutely recognized it as a Jewish person. And he, he puts it in there, but he doesn't always say, look at what he's doing. He actually does do that a lot. Like, look at what Jesus is doing. He's fulfilling a prophecy. But other times he'll just have Jesus say something, which if you know, it triggers your memory. So like, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is almost like a quote from Isaiah 57, which says that though God is high and exalted, he is near to the lowly of spirit and the brokenhearted, or the contrite rather, the contrite and the lowly of spirit. And um, it speaks of humility before God, right? And then you go on, blessed are those who mourn. Well, it says in Isaiah 61 that when the Messiah comes, he will comfort those who mourn and he will, you know, give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Sermon Extra. Great to have you with us once again this week. And we are in our series called Behold Your King in the study of the gospel of Matthew. And very exciting this week, we jumped into chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12, the Beatitudes. So if you uh, missed that, the sermon is called The Great Reversal, and you can find that on whitefieldschurch.com, and you can download it, or any of our streaming platforms like uh, YouTube and Facebook and podcasting platforms as well. You can find them all there. And if you would uh, interact with the with the content, that certainly helps as we put the stuff out there and people are Googling, looking for, you know, the Beatitudes. It's, you know, kind of group of sayings of Jesus. People are interested in these kind of things. And, and uh, we can provide them with Christ-centered, gospel-centered answers to their questions. And so anytime you can interact with the questions, comments, thumbs up, rate and review, any of those things certainly help out. Uh, what we're trying to do here through this. And so we want to talk today. So one of the things that talk, people come up with uh, with this particular thing is Matthew 5 and Luke, Luke chapter 6 have basically the same content, it seems, but there's quite a few discrepancies. And, and you find people trying to teach these, you know, doing hermeneutical gymnastics to, you know, harmonize these gospels or... You have people pointing out, well, hey, what's up here? Uh, Luke is saying something completely different to Matthew, and it's a, you know, it's up to you for people to point out that this is completely unreliable, and we shouldn't trust the Bible. And so let's just kind of talk about that. Matthew five and kind of Luke chapter six. Yeah. So sometimes you, what you hear people say is that they'll say, you know, the Bible is full of contradictions. I think that's a really funny one because sometimes you can ask people. Well, if it's so full of it, these contradictions, I mean, if there are so many, as you describe, could you give me some examples of them so that we can discuss them? And, uh, and if you do that, oftentimes, I almost never have somebody come back with them, but I have received, you know, or heard about different ones that people might sometimes point to. And uh, like one of them is that it says um, that uh, in, in the book of Acts, it talks about how, or not the, not the book of Acts, I'm sorry. But in one of the gospels, it talks about how uh, Judas hung himself from a tree. In another gospel, it says that Judas fell out of a tree and his guts spilled out. And it's like, well, that's a contradiction. Well, it's not a contradiction at all. I mean, he hung himself from a tree and then at some point his body fell down from the tree and his guts spilled out, right? So um, I, I love to hear people like try and tell me what the contradictions are in the Bible because I don't believe that there are any. Um, 
there are cases like this, though, where you have, like you said, the Sermon on the Mount has a lot of similarities to a sermon in Luke chapter 6, but there are some significant differences. And how do we explain those differences? Are those actually contradictions? Like the gospel writers just couldn't get their story straight. One guy thought he said these things. Another guy thought he said these things. And so one example of this between these two is that it says in Matthew's gospel that Jesus went up on a mountain. This was a sermon on the mount. Uh, in Luke's gospel, it says that he came down from a mountain to a flat place and preached this sermon. Also in Matthew's gospel, he says famously, blessed are the poor in spirit. And in Luke's gospel, he says, blessed are you who are poor. And so is he talking about material poverty? Is he talking about being poor in spirit? How do we make sense of this? And really the simple answer is this. I alluded to this on Sunday, but I want to say it explicitly. When Jesus traveled around through the villages of Galilee, as he went everywhere, as it says, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he was teaching a lot of the same content as he went from village to village, but he would cater it or, you know, I guess make it a little bit different based on the audience. Maybe it was something specific he knew about the audience. Maybe it was the leading of the Holy Spirit as he spoke. But the point is that there would be some variations as with any itinerant preacher and especially one who preaches without notes, right? So you have a core of content that he would preach everywhere he went. And sometimes he would, you know, take out that part, add another part. Um, and, and that is to be expected, and it's definitely what happened. And that's how we make sense of these things, even the timeline of them. And I realize that Matthew and Luke, particularly Matthew, is not trying to give a strict chronology of events. But um, even still, they're portrayed as happening at, at very different times and in response to very different things. And you could even say that the purpose of the two sermons is different, even though they contain some of the same content. I hope that makes sense. What I'm trying to say is that every preacher does this. We, we recently went to Ukraine and you, me, and Pastor Nate, we all preached messages that had been preached before. And yet we also catered them to our audience, right? So I changed some examples to make it fit with that audience and what I felt the Lord wanted to say to them. But a lot of the content had been used by me at other times in a different message. And that same thing happened with Jesus. And that's as simple as it is. Yeah, it reminds me, I, I think of, you know, comedians today are always lamenting the fact they tell the joke once and, on, and it makes it out on YouTube and it's just all over the place, you know? And now that the joke's out there, the punchline is gone. and. and you know, Jesus didn't have, you know, he told the sermon and then went out on YouTube and people were podcasting yeah. and things like that. You know, he's moving from place to place to place and he's teaching the same content and, uh, you know, maybe not from notes, but from memory. <laughs> you know, there's so many different things. We we see things through our Western minds. We're like, well, this is the way we think, you know, but it's, you know, that's a very, very different way they lived, you know. Yeah. And another part of that is that, of course, he would want the people in each village to hear the same content, right? And like you said, yeah. they, they all had to be delivered in person, right? right. And so, of course, uh, if that message is so important, well, sorry, you missed the show last night in Magdala. <laughs> yeah. I guess you get don't get to hear the gospel of the kingdom, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You know, so, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's, you know, one of the pushbacks you get many times, I think, from people with the Gospels is like, well, you know, the, the message is, is different, you know, but then when, when you see things are exactly the same, they say, well, everything's exactly the same. They compare it to notes and then they wrote down the exact same thing. It's like, no, this is different people writing different things at different times and their perspective of what, what Jesus said and how they received it. And, you know, and I think it, it's actually something that strengthens the gospel accounts is that we do have these four different perspectives if you're looking at all the, the gospels. And it shows us just how many people in different ways people were impacted by the same words that Jesus brought at different times. And yet they harmonize so well across all of the message is the same, you know, and some of the details might be, you know, might be different, but, you know, but because they, they don't necessarily harmonize in the way we do many people like, um, try and teach them or interpret them in different ways. And so, you know, maybe just talk about that for a little bit, a couple of ways that come to my mind is like maybe kind of a liberal way that people have, interpreted the Beatitudes, you kind of think of, well, Jesus is a great teacher. He's like Buddha, you know, Buddha. He's like Confucius. Look at his great sayings. And they look at these and they take it out of the context of the whole gospel message. Or on the other side, maybe a legalistic way where we have to live up to these. This is a, you know, a list of ways, you know, that we need to live, you know, need to live our lives to be good enough. You know, what what are some other ways you might have heard that People like try to present them from the pulpit or trying to explain them. Yeah. Or... Yeah. So one way I heard was uh, somebody said the Beatitudes. And what that means is that these are the attitudes that you need to be, which, by the way, is completely wrong etymologically, meaning like that's not what a Beatitude is. As we talked about saying, it comes from the Latin word Beatus, which means happy. They're the happy sayings. Um, they're not attitudes that you need to be. That's absolutely not what this is about. Um, and some people portray them as virtues to be pursued. In other words, here's a laundry list, a checklist of things that you need to do more and do better. Be poor in spirit. Do you know more and more, you know, be meeker, you know, hunger and thirst more, these kinds of things. He's primarily speaking this to people who were in those situations already. And he's saying, essentially, what has now happened with his coming is something which changes everything. It changes your perspective on your life. It changes your perspective on your future. It changes your purpose in life. I mean, this is a profoundly, I guess, just mind-blowing, but also empowering series of statements um, that really shows the hope of the kingdom of, of heaven and the gospel. Um, but some people turn them into really like a burden for you to carry. Like we often say, it's like putting rocks in your backpack. Hey, if you're, if you, uh, weren't having a hard enough time now, you're trying to carry this backpack full of rocks, you know, just laying a heavy burden, as Jesus said about the Pharisees, you lay heavy burdens on people that are, are kind of missing the point. And so, um, yeah, I've just heard it taught. That was the, that's the main way I've heard it taught wrong. Um, but yeah, people often, or they'll just take these statements in isolation and completely devoid of their context within the Sermon on the Mount, which actually we're going to get to in our next message about what actually is the heart um, of the Sermon on the Mount. What is it communicating? Like what is 
the thrust of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to that in this coming week. It's uh, in Matthew 5, I think it's verse 20 for those who want to read ahead. But the um, point there is that, yeah, I mean, if you just take these things like blessed are the poor in spirit, well, what, what does that even mean? And and how are they blessed? And, you know, you, if you take it out of its context, you actually, in my opinion, on the one hand, you lose the meaning. On the other hand, you also end up in a situation where it becomes like silly putty and you can form it into whatever shape you want. Yeah, no, that is something you want to kind of stick away from, uh, stay away from. And I think, yeah, it's important to not take these out of their context. And, and we're getting to look through all of that. And, uh, you know, I thought something that was worth um, going through again is that on Sunday you mentioned that they are kind of a progression that's happening here. And it's, you know, it's a reversal of, you know, the great reversal. It's a reversal of a mindset that we're supposed to have. And I thought it's just worthwhile just maybe to bring that back up again. Yeah. And so um, I'll, I'll explain what it is, but let me say this first. This is not something new or novel to me at all, or even modern interpretations of this. It goes all the way back to the early church fathers who looked at the Beatitudes and said, look at the progression of thought. So going back to Augustine, John Chrysostom, um, going back to, and, and in our recent times, I mean, Martin Lloyd-Jones famously taught them this way, and they've been taught this way by Chuck Smith, of course. And so anyway, it goes like this, that if you look at this, um, it's saying, blessed are, blessed, first of all, the, the step to true blessedness, true happiness is to, first of all, come to terms with your spiritual poverty, that you're spiritually bankrupt. Again, it's not something to pursue as much as it's something to acknowledge. You are, apart from God, spiritually impoverished. And then to mourn over that and to say, you know, the way that this world is on the one hand is bad and I mourn over it. I think that's a human thing to do. I don't think that takes, again, not something to be pursued, something to acknowledge. We are all people who mourn the condition of this world. Uh, I don't think there's a single person in the world who doesn't mourn the condition of this broken world. But then you must go further and say, it isn't just that the world is broken. It's that I am broken. I am a person. It's not just that the world needs to become better. It's that I I'm a person who's fallen short of God's glory. And to mourn over the brokenness in the world and the brokenness which we experience as beings in this world and as, as human beings. And then, and turning to Jesus through repentance, which of course he called us to in response to the coming of the kingdom, that's how we will receive the comfort that can only come from forgiveness and the grace of God. And then meekness, right? Meekness is what? It's submission, it's power under control. So we've acknowledged our spiritual poverty. We've mourned over the condition of not just the world, but ourselves. And then we submit ourselves to God and bring all that we are under his leadership and obedience to him. Then to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, righteousness oftentimes speaks of justice, but that word is also used of truth, right? So those three words are used kind of interchangeably, if you will, justice, righteousness, and truth. You know, obviously righteousness is rightness. It's the way that things are supposed to be. Justice is the opposite of injustice. But also that word righteousness, it's used in the Bible and in the Old Testament uh, to speak of truth, right? So like in John 1, when it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Though that is the Greek, um, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew term chesed ve'emet, which means faithfulness or grace 
and righteousness or truth. And so Jesus was full of grace and truth. God introduces himself in, a, in Exodus 34 and says that he's a God who's characterized by steadfastness, steadfast love and faithfulness, hesed, and emet, which means truth, righteousness, and justice. And so not just that we pursue holiness, that's part of it, but also that we pursue God's truth, right? So, so now we're admitting our spiritual poverty. We are weeping over the condition of the world and of ourselves. We're then repenting, turning to the Lord, submitting ourselves to God, and then we're pursuing his truth, right? That's what we're all about uh, here as a church as well, right? Pursuing God's truth through his word and, and, and that. And, so, uh, and then it goes beyond that, like we want to then uh, show mercy to others as we've received mercy. And then it goes on, you know, we become peacemakers, peace between God and men. That's what we're called to do as sons of God. And so, uh, you know, you can see this progression that takes place. It almost shows us like this progression of somebody starting out mm -hmm. and moving down a, what we might call a discipleship pathway. The they're becoming, yeah. yeah, they're mm -hmm. becoming a disciple of Jesus yeah. as they go through this, you know, becoming pure of heart. God's working in our lives, sanctifying us. And so, yeah, that, that progression. And like I said, it's not something new with me. It's something Christians have been teaching for a very long time. Yeah, no, that's a great, great, great insight. And I think that, yeah, it's just certainly... A, a great way to view this particular passage. And last thing before we go is that, you know, something that's worth reminding, uh, you know, our audience as we're going through the book of Matthew is it's, is it's tied to the Old Testament. Now, Matthew is distinctly writing to the children of Israel, and so many of the elements are almost a commentary of what has gone before and you brought up one of those with, of course, the servant songs and Isaiah. So we just want to kind of discuss a little bit of that before we go. Yeah, I didn't get into all of them. There are more yeah. ties between the Sermon on the Mount and the servant songs. But Jesus is this amazing teacher. And Matthew would have absolutely recognized it as a Jewish person. And he he puts it in there, but he doesn't always say, look at what he's doing. He actually does do that a lot. Like, look at what Jesus is doing. <laughs> he's fulfilling a prophecy. But other times, he'll just have Jesus say something, which if you know, it triggers your memory. So like, for example, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is almost like a quote from Isaiah 57, which says that though God is high and exalted, he is near to the lowly of spirit and the brokenhearted, or the contrite rather, the contrite and the lowly of spirit. And um, it speaks of humility before God, right? And then you go on, blessed are those who mourn. Well, it says in Isaiah 61 that when the Messiah comes, he will comfort those who mourn and he will, you know, give them beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness for the, uh, what was the oil of gladness in exchange for the, what was Garment it? of, um, no, oil of gladness in exchange for Something of ashes, no? No, no. It's, yeah, it's Isaiah 61, though. Yeah. Yeah, I had it on Sunday. Okay, so then um, you could go on the next one, right? Like the meek, right? It's talking about submission of yourself to God. But again, there you go back to the servant songs, and they talk about how God is going to, you know, the knowledge of the Lord and submission to God and his lordship is going to permeate the world and things like that when the Messiah comes. And you continue on. I mean, some of these are not from the servant songs. Like I mentioned, the pure of heart speaks of, it's almost a quotation from Psalm 24, right? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Only those who have pure hands and a clean heart. 
How can you have a pure heart? Again, it goes to like Ezekiel, right? I'm going to remove your heart of flesh I'm gonna, or heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my precepts on your heart. I mean, it's this is all about the new covenant. And Jesus is saying all those things from the Old Testament, they're fulfilled in me and by me. My kingdom has come and blessed are you, fortunate. Oh, how happy are you if you are part of my kingdom. If I am your king, it changes everything. Yeah. And, and, well, Isaiah 42 reminded me of hunger and thirst and righteousness because it says that the servant of the Lord is going to bring justice. And that just reminds us that God is about justice, you know, and if we are hungering and thirsting for that, we're hungering for thirsting for things that he is about. And so that just reminded me of Isaiah 42 as well. And yeah, no, it's just great. I just love that part of it and just kind of yeah, that idea that Matthew's just kind of writing a commentary on the Old Testament and revealing it's being revealed in Jesus and in the Messiah. And it's an exciting, you know, kind of exposition that we're going through right now. And so, yeah, definitely want to share this with anybody that you think will benefit from from hearing this as we dive deep into, into the book of Matthew. There's so much there. And we're just getting started now with the, with the, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's just going to get better and better every week. And so... Uh, definitely your questions we love interact thumbs up all of that kind of stuff and we look forward to seeing you next week god bless